Hey, I'm Mark. I'm the pastor here at E3. We are in the third week of uh, Dicer Deity, where we are going through the book of Esther. And uh, Esther is a, is a unique uh, book in the Bible. Esther, uh, in all the book of Esther, there is no mention of God. His name is never used. There's no prayer. There's no fasting or miracles. There's no angels, anything like that. Uh, Over the ages, uh, many uh, people of faith and and Christians have kind of rejected the book of Esther because of its lack of religiosity. Um, And although there are uh, although the book of Esther is, is absent of, of really spiritual references, I do believe that it is one of the most important books for a follower of Christ. Because I believe that the story of Esther really is our story. Because most of us, if we, you know, we're just truthful, most of us have never heard a booming voice saying, you know, Mark, with whom I'm well pleased, you know, do this or, or something like that. Or, you know, none of us have ever seen kind of writing happen on the wall. We've all seen graffiti, but not like live hand of God, you know, kind of things. Or we've never been up, you know, to a top of a mountain handed, you know, big old tablets and, and things like that. You know, we have iPads, right? You know, so things like that. So, uh, and so the story of Esther, in the, in the absence of these kind of overt religious things uh, or spiritual things, is largely like our story, where, where Esther is in a, you know, a hostile environment, right? We talked about King Xerxes, who, uh, you know, was a little cray-cray, you know, he, he tried to whip, whip uh, water and, and handcuff water and to, to punish it. You know, he had his soldiers yelling at, at a storm. So, you know, a lot of us can relate with, you know, bosses who are a little, you know, whack jobs or something like, like that. And, then, and, and she doesn't know how to deal with this guy. And they're the, kind of the, this fear of, of him and, and just how does that all work? And we can relate with that. That, that we go through life and it's like, yeah, sure, we want to do what God has for us, and, but sometimes we just, we just don't know. And here in the story of Esther, you know, our life, we're presented with the exact same questions that Esther is presented with, and that is, is these things happening in my life? Is it the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, or, or is it just fate? Is it just a roll of the dice? So here we are in the third week of a, of a 10-week series where we're going through the book of Esther. And through this 10-week series, uh, we're going to ask of the story of Esther, you know, there's eight moments in the story of Esther that, that we have to say, hey, is this, is this just luck that this happened or, or is this the providence of God? But if you remember last week, we had our first Dicer Deity moment, which I called Dord, Dicer Deity, uh, Dord moment where, where Xerxes' boyish pride was, was hurt, right, and, uh, by why Vashti not showing up, and he overreacts and banishes her forever. And we talked a little bit about that and how, how that works out. This week, we have actually uh, three dicer deity moments, three doored moments in the in the ch- in chapter two. 
So we're going to read through this section of Scripture. We're going to listen to the story, and then we're going to circle back around and ask these three questions. And ultimately, the purpose of this, of, of this uh, time together is not for me to answer the questions for you. I can't do that. This is your journey of faith. You have to answer the question, is this a dice or deity moment? And how we answer these questions in Esther's life will largely dictate how we answer them in our own life. One more thing, just the guiding New Testament scripture that we're using through this is Romans 8, 28, where uh, we're told, and we know that all things work together for the good, for the people, uh, for, uh, the people who love God and are called according to His purpose. So really this understanding of, of, hey, you know what, even if we can't see how it directly uh, uh, contributes to our life or the story of God, that God is in control. So if you open up your Bibles uh, in your E3 Bibles, it's page 299, or you can follow on the screens, it's on your fridge, oh, actually it's not in your fridge fold, it's too much scripture, or you can uh, follow on your phone or, or tablet or whatever. So verse 1 in chapter 2, <clears throat> but after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, let's search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the forces of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are given beauty treatments. After that, the young women who most please, young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. All right. Obviously, a very different time, a different culture, but I think it does uh, speak into who the man of Xerxes uh, was. And this guy who had an appetite and really only could see uh, uh, what his needs were and really wasn't concerned with anyone around him. And people are trying to please him. So they come up with this plan. Remember, 127 provinces uh, Xerxes' empire was spanning from India to Ethiopia. So say, you know, three or four uh, women from each province, we're, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of women. Verse 5, at that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those with uh, King Jehoiachin of Judah. Had, uh, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, Hagassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. 
Now here we're going to have the first Dicer Deity moment, but we're going to finish this section of Scripture and circle back. But I just wanted to let you know. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. I don't know, ladies, where you get a prescription like that, but it sounds pretty luxurious. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought into the second harem, where the king's wives lived. Sounds like a dream come true, right? There, she would be under the care of Shazgez, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he had suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. women. Pretty loose definition of love there, right? He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all the nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday, Esther Day, for the province and giving generous gifts to everyone. I'm surprised that Hallmark hasn't jumped on that yet. (laughs) Even after all the young women have been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. And then the next Dicer deity moment. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. They became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on sharpened poles. And just so you have an understanding historically what would happen, these poles were up to 70 feet 
five feet tall. They were sharpened and they would impale men through or people through their backsides and lift them up on this big old pole and and let their weight start to pull them through until they hit the ground. Not a very nice punishment. This is all recorded in the book of history of King Xerxes' reign. Okay, so in this, uh, this is a really uh, rich uh, door, you know, kind of thing, uh, section. There's three dice or deity moments. And again, I believe how you answer these questions, and again, you have to answer them. I can't answer them for you. Is this just, you know, luck of the draw? Is this just a roll of the dice? Or is God in this? And, and really, it's problematic either way uh, you answer those questions. So, the, the first one is found in verse 9, and this is when Haggai was taken with, with Esther. Now, remember, there's 127 provinces and several women from each province probably, so we're talking about hundreds of women. And, you know, the, so was it dice or deity? Was it Dord that, that Haggai was taken and took, had favor with Esther and said, hey, you know what, I want to help this young woman. But even rolling it back even farther than that, think about Haggai and his story. He was a eunuch, probably not by choice, right? That, that what happened in that day, historically, what would happen is Xerxes would conquer a province. He, he would take young men and make eunuchs of them. So what probably happened was with Haggai that, that you know what, he was, he was conquered, his people were conquered and, he, and put into slavery, that he was made a eunuch, and that, that he was put into this place of power. And this person who, who would have a, an affection for, um, for Esther, you know, and all of those kind of, you know, things leading up to this man being able to help this girl. I was actually... Uh, reading this week, just preparing for today, uh, I was reading in Louis Ginsburg's seven-volume uh, uh, kind of life work. It's called, it's called the, um, excuse me, Legend of the Jews. And, and in that, he, he basically, over his life, he's collected different uh, just oral traditions of, of the Jewish faith and uh, kind of made them in chronological order along with uh, stories of the Bible so you can kind of get, you know, what, you know, basically the stuff that didn't make, make it in the Bible. And uh, there's a little bit more about Haggai and, 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 and what oral tradition is, is actually the reason that, that Esther kind of caught his, his attention was that she wasn't like all the other women who were trying to, you know, primp themselves and, and get all beautiful for the, for the king. Actually, oral tradition says that Esther was, you know, just disinterested, that she, she didn't want to participate. And this really frustrated him, one, knowing the man he worked for, 
you know, and he didn't want to have some ugly woman, you know. You know, he's like, hey, I thought, you know, all the beautiful women. And he's like, eh, you know, she just didn't want to participate. Probably wouldn't cut it with old King Cray Cray, right? So, uh, so like, he took an interest and encouraged her and, and, and built a relationship with her. And it's kind of interesting, just the extra biblical stuff on him. So you could, you could say that it's all by chance that, that this particular man was in this particular place and that, that uh, you know, this was all set up, you know, just as, just, you know, just as coincidence. And, and you, you would be in your right to be able to say that. Or, you know what, if you're a person of faith and saying, you know what, maybe God did have a hand in this. You know, maybe you're saying, you know what, maybe all of these horrible things happened to Haggai's family and his, and his nation, and, and that he was made a eunuch for just a time as this, that he was going to guide and help save another nation, giving purpose to his hurt and to his devastation and to his tragedy, that, that perhaps you know, Esther, you know,'s attitude and, and her demeanor that, that, that just being a person of faith and not participating actually put her in a position where she would gain favor. But it, for people of faith, it's really problematic, right? Because, you know, it's like, do we serve a God that would really allow hurt and pain to happen in, in a family? Do we really serve a, a God that, that for, the great, for the greater good or for the ultimate plan would allow, you know, you know uh, men like Xerxes to go out and, and do some of these just kind of evil things? And as we step back and we look at Romans 8.28 again saying like, you know what, is it possible that everything that happens in life is sifted through the permissive will of God in order for him, for the greater good and the, the ultimate vision that God has for humanity. And those are the kind of the, 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 the struggle points that we have. And we don't, get off the, we don't get off the hook either way if we say, yeah, it was just chance or, hey, you know what, this was God. But as I think we see as we reveal more and more in the story that, that, you know what, at least for me and how I've answered this, that even though there was great pain in all of these families, in, in Esther's family and Haggai's family and all this, that, that something greater is happening. The next dice or deity moment that, that we need to ask is about Mordecai just being in the right place at the right time. Now, I would imagine back then, just like now, if, you know, uh, if there's an assassination attempt of the most uh, powerful man in the world, that these, that, you know, these two assassinate, you know, guys who want to kill the king, they're probably not at the local, you know, ground or coffee shop or something, you know, talking about it, and, and Mordecai's there too, right? That it's probably done in hushed tones behind closed doors. So, is it, you know, is it dice? Is it just coincidence that, that Mordecai just happened to be in the right place at the right time? Or did God direct him to be in a certain place where he would overhear this? And 
you know, it's, I think a lot of times information uh, like this or just kind of general information that we, that our generation or, or definitely the generations that, that come after us, uh, that we don't realize how precious information is. You know, we live in a, in a time of WikiLeaks and, and, and Wikipedia and Wiki whatever, you know, and all, all of this kind of stuff. And we have so much information at our fingertips. And really, I mean, we've come to a point that we're interwoven with the whole wide world. In fact, I've come up with a term for it. You can use it if you want. It's almost like we're in a worldwide web, right? You can use that. You know, that's a gift for me to you. But, I, you know, just kind of, the, you know, just the radical change on, on how people get information and how we view information is really illustrated by a conversation I had with my son uh, just the other day. Uh, Boo and I were driving along and we were talking about an upcoming race in Albany, Georgia that we're going to do. And he's all like, hey, Papa. You know, that's how he talks. Hey, Papa, uh, you, know, uh, you know, do you know what time the, the, the race is going to start? And, it's, and, and I'm like, no, I don't. And I, and I handed him my phone and I said, why don't you Google it? He's like, okay. So he Googles it and finds out the time and everything and then pauses and then he, uh, for, you know, a couple minutes and then he, he, he breaks the silence and he says, hey, how did people used to find out things? <laughs> you know? And I said, well, you know, you know, word of mouth, you know, people would talk. And, uh, you know, if, like events, people would like, remember people would like hand out flyers and things like that. There used to be a thing called a newspaper for current events. Uh, and then, and this really blew his mind. If you wanted to study something, there's an ancient place called the library where you, they have books there. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, so a few more minutes go by. And then he finally asked me like the greatest question ever. So what did you used to use your phones for? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. And I said, calling people? And he's all, how pointless is that? I mean, it just kind of this, you know, it, there's, there's just been such a radical change in how we get information and receive information and, and just the nature of secrets. And I, I, I think a lot of ways, you know, that, that we exist in a culture where people, you know, get on social media and, and they kind of vomit their their stuff right and and there's there's you know very few secrets anymore and i think for for mordecai you know receiving this the, getting the secret must have been terrifying because what do you do with it your your adopted daughter is is now the queen and probably at first response where like, well, yeah, of course, you know, we, we need to, you know, he needs to give that information. But I don't think that was probably his first uh, inclination. Because number one, Xerxes was crazy. And he did crazy things. And he's thinking, you know what, had to wait. You know what, if, if I tell Esther, 
And Esther tells the king, what's his, gonna, what's his response going to be? Do you know? I don't know. The guy's a madman. Or, you know what? This might have gone through his head too. You know, maybe assassination might not be so bad. <laughs> Esther gets to come home along with all the other women. Maybe, maybe a change of uh, power might not be such a bad thing. Is that God's will? I don't know. And, you know, I think a lot of times we see, you know, it's like our first response is, oh, yeah, of course this is what he did. But, but you know what? He did this under a lot of risk. And I'm sure there was a lot of deliberation of like, what is God's will on this? Do, do I let uh, Esther know? Do I warn the king? Or is it God's will just to let these guys take him out? So he, he tells them and, and, and the, 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 you know, saves the king and, and all of these things. And then we have the final doored kind of question. And it's a question that I think is actually the most important question in the whole book of Esther. You see, this question is prompted by nothing. Mordecai has saved the king. And what does, what does Xerxes do? Nothing. He doesn't say thank you. Thanks, Mordecai. Hey, Morty, you know, you want to you wanna hang out? You know, I throw these outlandish parties all the time. You might have heard of them. You want to attend one of them? Maybe I'll do it in your honor. Maybe we'll make a Morty day. We made an Esther day yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> all right, I know. That was worth, that was worth a groan. I know. Uh, all right. But this... This is life, right? And I think that this is, this is a hard dicer deity question because, quite frankly, it can make you kind of mad. Does, can God actually withhold a reward or a blessing in our lives for the greater good? I mean, maybe we can understand how bad things can happen to motivate people to do this and that or to place people in a certain position, but, but being underappreciated or not appreciated is irritating. And that God, if the God that we serve is part of that, that's not very nice. And I think that this is, a, this is an important question because the reality is all of us are overlooked all the time. You know, maybe you were overlooked for that promotion at work. Maybe you were overlooked for that committee uh, at, at school. Or maybe, you know, you were overlooked by that cute guy or girl, you know, and they, they you know, picked that other, you know, horrible human being or whatever instead of you, you know. And all, you know, these things happen all the time. Maybe you were overlooked for a raise or, you know, all of these things. And I think that this is really one of these questions like, wow, can't, do I really believe that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Do I really believe when, when bad things, horrible things happen in my life, that God is doing something 
larger. There's something bigger at work. And can I trust God? Or when I get overlooked for things that I had earned, I had worked harder than that person, or I've done better work than that person, or I've been nicer to this other person, and and I should have gotten the reward. Could it be possible that when we're overlooked that God is doing something larger in our life? And those are the three questions that I'm going to ask you to struggle with this week in your growth groups and, and, and personally. You know, can, you know, can God position people and move people through pain to be a blessing to others? You know, can, can uh, God move us and have us in places and, and, and trust us with information uh, that that can change the, the course of somebody's future? And then ultimately, you know, can God or will God withhold blessings and rewards for something greater in the future? And I think ultimately, how we answer these doored moments in Esther will directly influence your life view. And how we answer the, these doored questions at the intersections of our life will enable us and really ultimately free us to move forward with every bit of confidence that God is in control. You guys pray with me. 